Hello. Hey, Andy. Hey, Matt. This is our second episode in the Adobe Max 21 mini-series, which is all about positivity and passing it on. So we, at Streamtime, have been working pretty hard, actually, on trying to improve, it sounds funny, right, the positivity you can get from project management software. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we are working on some work to kind of go, like, how do we get a little bit more kind of happiness into the product? But actually, more importantly, happiness into your team. And so we're working on things that are kind of like happiness nudges and um, things that can improve kind of mental well-being within your team. Nice. And one of the is this cool thing that we can actually we can do right now. Like I can send to you confetti cannons and uh, <laughs> the one of the characters kind of jumping out of a to do and like going into a swimming pool and on the to do screen. And we thought like wouldn't it be great to be able to send moments of delight, which is what we call them, to like say that a team member is doing a great job just try and keep that positivity going throughout yeah. your team so that's uh sarah who's been on before obviously is working on that at the moment with some of the team and it's very very exciting so that there's a positive moment that hopefully uh will come to fruition soon that was andy wright from streamtime good friend and supporter of adr if you haven't tried them before you can get a free trial and a 20 percent discount by going to www.streamtime.net slash adr 2020 Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast seeking to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. We acknowledge traditional owners of country throughout Australia, recognising their enduring connections to the land, knowledge and stories. I'm recording this on Gundagara and Dari country, and this episode's guests are on Gadigal land. We pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm your host, Matt Leach, and on this Adobe Max 2021 mini-series, I'm joined by co-host Samita Maharaj. Associate Design Director at RE and Never Not Creative Board Member. Now, I first met Samita at Brisbane Design Conference, and this is where we both met the guest for this episode, Chris Andrew Small. Chris is such a likeable person. He's always got time for anyone, and the work he showed on that stage was incredibly inspiring. It was really one of the highlights. So when we saw that he was speaking at Adobe Max this year, we knew we had to get him on. He's worked for clients like Nike, Apple, Adidas, Channel 4, WeTransfer, Reebok, and more. He's also exhibited internationally institutions like the V&A or the Louvre. This is a great chat that looks at some of Chris's backstory, how his process is changing, and what it means to be a role model for younger creatives. For anyone who wants to look at his work while you're listening, go to chrisandrewsmall.com or catch him at Adobe Max by going to max.adobe.com. Okay, let's jump into Samita questioning Chris about originally wanting to be a car designer. Chris. Hello. Hi there. We kind of wanted to know, or we were told, that you originally wanted to design cars. Seems to be a bit of a story in that. What's that one? Yeah, I did really want to design cars. I think it was just like um, the first thing that I was drawn to visually. Like I just, I still think cars are kind of like a form of sculpture when they're good. I mean, there's obviously ugly cars. But I remember like I used to go to the motor show with my dad. And I just like, I loved that. And and I think it was horrible for the environment. And I hope they don't still do it. But we'd, we'd leave the motor show and we'd have like a stack of, of um, like car catalogs. That was kind of the first, I mean, I was really young then. That was probably just the first visual thing that I thought I was like, cool, I like cars. And I, I guess I probably had a sense somewhere that I was a bit creative. 
So yeah, I wanted to design cars. And then even when I first learned Illustrator, I think one of the first things I actually did was design this car, which I found a photo of the other day and I'm oddly proud of. How old were you? I was like 14 and I, I feel like it was pretty good. So I have to ask, was it using pen tool or just shapes? Proper pen tool. And like, I think someone had taught me a gradient. So it was, but it's a cool car. And I just decided that it was for Volkswagen because I really like Volkswagen. And I do remember though, as time went on and, and my parents were like, cool, if that's what you want to do. And they were like, well, you should kind of study some form of engineering and this and that. And I was like, that's just so not going to fly. I thought you just drew the car and then someone Maths. kind of figured it out for you. And it, I, I still love cars very much. I think it's one, probably one of my favorite. I, again, like in another life, I would have, I would have loved to have been a rally car driver. Really? Like more, more than anything. Yeah. I loved so it. So what was it about rally so car driving that you loved? I know it also just seems so European and I just love Europe. And I just think I love the cars like, and they're just like covered in stickers and stuff. And you just drive through like the bush and I like the bush. Have you actually driven in a rally car? I've been to see a rally and it's actually pretty it's actually pretty shit because you just kind of like you're in the bush and you stand there for like the whole day and then a car goes past and then because they have to leave such a gap then you just stand there in the bush for 10 minutes and then another car comes past just covers you in dust you don't even see it you are like 50 meters away in the bush and like so you just kind of see this like blue Subaru fly past get covered in dust cough a lot and then wait 20 minutes you like it's the worst but i i do remember having a really good day but i just and i i'm a bit of a lead foot as it is so I, the thought of like speeding legally is like a really <laughs> um alluring thing for me not encouraging speeding <clears throat> but i think you can pay to be in the car like a second navigator yeah i did it a few times when i was younger a friend's older brother was dead set on becoming a driver and i sat in with him a few times I was always amazed how the navigator was thinking about, you know, three turns ahead, hard left, soft right. Yeah. Also, like, if you mess up, if you mix your right and your left, that's it's not going to end well. That would be such a bad April Fool's. Like, left, ha no, I meant right. <laughs> <laughs> so just to revisit another thing from your childhood, set the scene if you like. Is it true that you won a bike in a colouring competition where you didn't actually colour anything? Who told you this? Who? How? Did, how? I just want to know how you... It was on an interview you'd done, and it was one of those questions like, what's something that people don't know about you? And you'd confessed, but the interviewer hadn't picked up on it and just moved on to the next question. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is so funny. It was like I had never won anything, and I had this bike that my like great uncle had given to me and it was I mean if I look at it now it was like the coolest bike but when you're 10 you want like a BMX like all the other kids like this bike was big and orange and it had a gear stick like a, a gear stick on a on a push bike it was banging I think but at the time I was like I just want to I want like a mongoose like all the other kids as one does but we didn't have a lot of money so like we I just got the hand-me-down one and then I don't know why we were at like the garden center and they were doing this coloring in competition i was really shy so i wouldn't necessarily do anything that was like that would bring any attention to me for some reason i did it and my sister was like that's not very good she i don't re even remember if they both did it or one of my sisters did it or they did it together they basically redid it for me and then we submitted it and i won like a week later and then i remember we went to see it and i think my sisters were smart enough to know that like they're a lot older than me and it needed to be like at least believable still. 
and we went to see them and like it, i mean this i was like 10 or 11 or whatever and every other one had been like so obviously done by their parents because they were like perfect like no 11 year old can color like this and mine was like really good but definitely the shittest one so i think they'd just been like oh he actually did it we'll give it to him so on this bike and when we went to collect it they were like yeah we were a bit concerned that like people were cheating but yours look really legitimate and i was like oh my god <laughs> The first thing I've ever won. And then my sister was like, can I have the bike? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's my bike now. <laughs> yeah, so I won it under false pretenses. But um, I have some guilt about that, I must say. Like the, lo- the local garden center that I just like took advantage of. <laughs> you mentioned as a child you were very cautious about bringing attention to yourself. But I've seen you on stage. We, we both have. You don't look nervous. In fact, you look really comfortable on stage. What changed? Um, I did really bad amateur theatre, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was such a shy kid, like painfully shy. I would go to kids' sleepovers and pretend to be sick because I just wanted to go home. And then I went to see this really kind of amateur theatre group that I used to be a part of. I mean, it's an, it's an amazing, I, I loved it to death and, and, and a lot of people get a lot of joy out of it. But um, I remember going to see it and I don't know if what it was that drew it to me. I think it was just like all the color and the lights and like the thought of kind of being in that world of kind of creativity because I don't think I'd been exposed to anything like that up until that point. Um, and I remember asking my parents if I could apply for it next year or audition for it next year. And they were so shocked because I was so shy. And they were like, we would have understand if you wanted to play soccer or something, but you want to go on stage and sing. Are you crazy? But I think it was just what I needed to like get me out of my skin. Yeah, I just did that for like a probably 10, till I was like 18 or 19. So a long time. And I guess I just stopped caring as well. Like I'm a human, whoever I'm talking to or in front of is like another human. I'm sure we've got something to relate to. Like, I, I don't really get intimidated by people unless, like, they're Beyonce. But, like, you know, <laughs> I just think, like, everyone's a human at the end of the day. And you, you just, if you kind of take people a little bit off their pedestal and try not to, like, get intimidated by them or be yourself, then that sounds really cheesy. Then you'll be fine, I guess. But, yeah, it was definitely bad singing on stage and things like that that kind of. But that's massive to be able to do that. I was a shy kid. I could never have done that. That's huge. But the weirdest thing is, like, for the first two years, I was still, like, painfully shy. But I think I was just really tall. So they put me in all, like, the lead parts. And I was good. Like, hate to, like, blow my own (laughs) horn, but, like, I was good. And then... I, but then I was still like painfully shy. Like it took it took a while, and then eventually, I think the less shy I got, the worse of an actor. I think <laughs> yeah, maybe I just found my people. Like I found weirdos and artists, and it wasn't like the most creative thing on the planet. But it just was at least out of that like school kind of situation where they were like, "Go and be an engineer" or like an accountant. It was like funny people dressing me up as a plan. I thought that was funny. <laughs> so car designer, amateur theatre. How did you end up studying graphic design? I got a really bad, bad OP, which is what you get in Queensland because I grew up in Queensland, which is like your final score in school. And I remember I wanted to study film. That was what I wanted to study. And I effectively just didn't get in. I honestly can't tell you why I studied graphic design, but I guess I didn't 100% know what it was. I, I wasn't really into the idea of studying art. 
want, I just think I'd been like sold that like if you're a painter or whatever, you'll just be poor forever. And I was like, I was like, I really wanted to go overseas and like travel. That was like my main driving thing. And I was aware that I would need money for that. So then I was like, okay, well, I still want to do art. I didn't get into film. I don't want to be a painter. And then graphic design was like the middle part, I guess. But like what I really wanted to ask you as well is like, I think I, I read it somewhere, I heard in an interview that you actually did sort of some kind of film component in high school. Yeah. When I look at your work, even though it's static, I know it feels like it moves. All of your work is really dynamic. Did do you think that that film component really influenced you in some way? In so many ways. Like it was so, again, broken record. I was dreadful at school. <laughs> it's just because I didn't like being told what to do and I felt like it was very conservative. A lot of people would not go to school one day a week and they'd go and do hospitality and I, I caught on to that and I was like well why can't I do that but for something else so I basically went and did that so I went I wouldn't go to school on Wednesdays and I'd go to this film school in Brisbane which is was in the same studio as where Steve Irwin used to always record his uh, like studio bits I really liked it and it was uh, again it was kind of that that time like I, I'd done theater where I was around creative people but this was the first time I'd been around creative people that were like like these were like you know the teachers were working in the film industry they they knew their thing and they were like if you want to be creative like there's a job for you. you you just have to work hard for it I mean I wanted to like make like commercials for Adidas and like music videos I wasn't so into like I want to win an Oscar but I think as well like around that time and especially when I was studying like uh, when I was studying film and I was studying graphic design I think it just so happened that a lot of the music videos that were coming out in that time were like really like DIY and really giffy and really and so I was like oh okay like it's the film I was more into that side of film, like just moving image more than it was like, you know, composing a beautiful shot and lighting it perfectly. I just wanted to make like crazy things that move. So I think that kind of came together. And I think I used to make so many gifts and so much moving image and stuff. And I've, I've started animating again now. I'm a bit too impatient for it. So it's like a slow process. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think movement's a big point of my career and I'm uh, like part of my work I'm also just a very restless person so I think it just comes out I totally get that I would still love to make music videos and like eventually I think at the moment I'm in a thing where I'm making a lot of static and you know starting a bit of type animation and things which I love but I I do think eventually I, I would like to do kind of direct music videos and things like obviously they would be linked to my work now and stuff but yeah, I think movement's always going to be a big part you mentioned there that you make a lot of work and I've read that your process is not necessarily thinking through a theme or coming up with a concept. It's more about creating lots of work and then the theme and the concept will sort themselves out. Has your process changed since your work has become better known and recognized? No, actually. Never thought about it. No, I think I still make loads of work. I mean, I have less time now, that's for sure. But I've definitely become faster as well. So I like to have a lot of options when I make work and I like to make loads of different uh, versions, which often gets me into hot water because I'll send a lot of work to a client. They get excited by that and then um, I kind of get myself into a place where I have to make it even more work. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's changed. I, I, I think it's a good way to work because I think what it does is it makes you less precious. Like if you're working on one image and you're just like trying to nail it like forever, you get it becomes like this, it's like climbing Everest. It's like an impossible thing. Whereas if you just keep going and keep going, you never really second guess yourself and you really allow your 
creativity to come out and then you can go back and be like well that one worked that one worked that one worked and you can develop it more but you haven't you haven't like stunted your kind of growth of the project and instead of being like oh I don't want to ruin the, the like the perfect thing I've made you're like cool I'll like leave it and just like start again and start again and start again and then that that thing still exists at the beginning but you've got all these like iterations of it right so what does a normal work day look like for you this is my favorite question to be asked, like ever. I don't know what it is. I just, I also love, um, I love reading other artists and other uh, people, what their day's like. So I think I, I'm like, maybe someone wants to know my day, hopefully. But I'm reading this book at the moment called Daily Rituals. And it's it's a book. It's kind of like a short paragraph or, or a page at the most of like, it's loads of famous people um, throughout history, like poets, composers, artists, photographers, like literally everything and it's just kind of like what their daily routine is and it's just really interesting because some of them are so extreme most of them are just like raging alcoholics (laughs) but then kind of the consistent theme is that none of them really work much more than four hours a day which is kind of how I work like I, I feel like I'm always working but I feel like the actual time on a computer is actually not that much but I think it's because I put a lot of like kind of built up energy and I'm always like emailing and talking about things and then I like I've built up all this energy and then I get on the computer and it just kind of like comes out. It's not that I'm lazy and I'm like, I only want to work four hours a day. I love working. It's just the thing. But, and so yeah, my, my routine, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, I think my like overall routine in, in, in life has changed a lot, mainly because I used to travel a lot and I can't do that anymore. And that has a huge impact on my work. I have a studio and I love working from it, but I'm happier making work in like an airport on the floor I just feel really alive when I'm moving and traveling and meeting people and I think that's like a kind of vital part of my work my daily routine throughout COVID has not really changed my like yearly routine is like super super different but like my daily routine is I get up pretty early I live in Sydney and it's very sunny so I, I like to get up with the sun if it's a weekday I always do some form of exercise because I think that's very important and it kind of clears out my brain I, sorry, I normally spend like an hour emailing before I do any exercise because I normally try and luckily a lot of my clients are overseas. So I, I'm kind of always juggling time zones. And if I get up early, I'm still on American time. So I kind of like reply to that and then I'll go do some exercise and then I'll have the morning off and I kind of get into my studio. I'll like just do whatever, run errands or just hang out, mainly see friends. As it says in this book, like it's really funny. In this book, it's like, oh, I work for three hours and then I receive guests in the afternoon. And I'm like, okay, I receive guests in the morning. <laughs> I see my friends. Um, and then I normally go into the studio around one, which I get so much shit for. My, my studio friends are always like, what are you doing? It's one or like two. And I'm like, but I don't work freelance to get in here at nine. I don't understand what you're doing. And then I normally work to like five-ish on the computer and then I'll have like a bit bit of time off and then I'll work into the evening because then Europe wakes up and I normally have like some form of call or correspondence um, and I'll just do a bit of work into the like a couple of hours on the couch kind of in the evening. It's good because I can like chop and change it. It's like Tetris. I can just, as long as I kind of get my five, six hours a day, I can change around the times. Then I always try and have Saturdays off and then I like to go on the, to the studio on Sundays but obviously I've got if I've got like bigger projects I'll I'll do more hours but I, even when I've got no projects and I'll just make something I'll find something to make 
Did it take you ages to figure out that routine though? Like after you get out of a full-time job, you're in advertising and then you went to this sort of more freelance life. Like did it take you ages to sort of figure out what worked for you? I think I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) I think that's why I like exercise so much because it's like the one thing I have to do. Like obviously I have to finish work, but at the end of the day, like there's no one meeting me, you know, at my studio to work with me. Whereas if I am training with someone, which I always train with someone else, like a friend or my trainer or whatever, I've like got to meet them there. So it's like it's good to start the day with having somewhere to be and something to do I don't know I feel like I worked really hard from whatever I've got and I don't want it to go away and I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I've been given so I I want to make sure that people understand that I am like working hard enough like for them I always want that so I kind of always have this guilt of like have I done this can I do this maybe I should do this that'll lead to that and as much as I've got a better routine now I'm still like I just have the morning off I still feel a bit of guilt of like but you should have done this I'm slowly just being okay with it can I tell you from from your talk in TDC I I thought your take on a full-time this is a tangent I thought your take on a full-time sorry on a full-time job was really interesting because you actually said from I'm probably remembering it badly but like you you actually said like it actually informed a lot of your work as in like you knew how to iterate quickly you know a composition and all those like really grounding things that actually informs a lot of your work and what I found with like a lot of the junior designers or people who are just getting into the industry they kind of want to get to the end quickly and I get that everyone wants to be happy and feeling like they're in the right spot but even when you're not in the right spot like the things you learn along the way are so valuable and I love that you articulated that at TDC I thought that's something that people forget about. Thanks. Yeah, I 100% believe that. Like, I didn't like working in advertising at all. I mean, I openly say that, which probably loses me a bunch of clients. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, if it if it works for you, like, that's so fine. I don't want to be negative. It's just it wasn't for me. And But I, I'm too harsh on it because it, I honestly, as I said at Design Conference, like, I did learn so much. I learned how to work fast, how to put a message in things, how to make my work different different scales and different sizes and there was a lot of it that I didn't like but also it's good to pay your dues and then you appreciate when you get it you appreciate when you get what you want and you feel like you've actually earned it I think half of my stress comes from the fact that if someone took away my current position I would be heartbroken so I'm really aware of the fact that I think that I earned it and it wasn't just given to me and that makes it all the more enjoyable I think I mean, and there's like, you know, one in a million that get known really quickly and that's great for them. But I think for the most part, it takes like a decade <laughs> to get to where you want to be. And then and then you get where you want to be and then where you want to be becomes bigger and bigger and you'll just never be happy and you're in this endless vortex. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if it, the jobs I work on now, had I known that three years ago, I would have shat myself. Like it's, <laughs> it's... It's inconceivable to think that. So then, you know, what's in three years? Do you have a bucket list thing? Because, like, you were exhibited in the Louvre. Like, that's crazy. That got my mum off my back. (laughs) (laughs) She finally understood. Just anyone. Like, you can win any argument with that. You really can, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's funny. That's your opinion. I'm in the Louvre. (laughs) (laughs) Also added, like, a zero to my... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it didn't it didn't 
the yeah it's pretty surreal i mean it, it feels very surreal it also because i haven't been there to see it it doesn't feel real at all like i've seen and i've not even seen a photo of it because it's in the vna in scotland and i love the vna museum in in london i used to live there and i used to love the vna museum so much and it went into there first and i was so excited and i got photos of it and i was i was really excited like that was enough and then um i got this other email saying like it's we know that it's in there but we have no photos of it and we don't have any proof other than this email but it is in there <laughs> so i think you know other in normal times i would have just gone to paris to see it but now i'm like i know it's there but i haven't seen it but it, it so it, it still feels a bit surreal whereas the vna i'm like i know that it's there i've seen photos of it i can can get that but yeah it's, that was definitely a big a big thing um i definitely have a bucket list uh, of things to do it's always the same goal though like I've just always wanted my work to be in as many places as humanly possible and seen by as many people as humanly possible so whatever that means I think that's that's the goal at the, the end of the day I really want to vinyl wrap a car for like a big brand I've always wanted to do that and I always wanted to design a swatch watch yeah they're two big ones yeah they're good ones and then there's yeah there's a million other ones Okay, so this mini-series is all about Adobe Max, where you're speaking. Can you give us some insight into what you're talking about? Um, I'm just basically copying and pasting this chat and this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the name of the piece, that we filmed last Wednesday for Adobe, and um, the name of the piece is Your Work, Your Voice, or Your Voice, Your Work. doesn't really matter. Which Your Voice, Your Work. And I always think that, like, I feel like in my own career, I didn't actually get anywhere until I stopped trying to be everyone else and just actually embraced my own style and who I was as a person. That's the only time anyone started to pay any attention. So that's kind of like an ongoing theme in my work. But for the Adobe Max thing, that was like the the main thing we decided to talk about. And I kind of wanted to explain the fact that I put my, my, my voice into my work and that's like the kind of overall arching thing that I do and to me, that's really important, and I think that's the key to anyone's success, regardless of what success means. Like, at least if you make work that's really yourself and really honest, that's the best thing you can make, and you can live with yourself knowing that that's that's the best possible thing. I forget that not everyone is like me. Like, I have such big goals that it's like debilitating a lot of the time. Like, it's just never enough, and and no, that's not a good way to live. And I sometimes envy people that a lot more content with just getting one good job or like you know getting working for the agency they want to work for there's so many forms of success for different people and they're equally as valid um no 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 one's success is more successful than anyone else you know it's all relative to each person so that's the main kind of topic of the adobe max piece but I'm, I'm i'm happy that that's what it's about and i know adobe gave you the option of filming yourself or getting a crew involved did they you got the crew involved. Yeah, of course. <laughs> when we spoke last week, you just finished filming and you were pretty tired. It's a lot. Like just talk. It's, I mean, we did three locations. There's a lot of people. I had a, a very friendly woman fixing my hair all day, which I'd never had before. Um, and <laughs> she was so lovely. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. Like it's a very intense day and it was a very big crew. And we were at my, bless my, the other people in my studio because we turned up with like four cameras and a crew and they were kind of just, you know, trying to live in the background, but 
yeah, it was really fun. Like uh, the, the crew were amazing and it was a very intense day. I don't know how people shoot like a sitcom. It's shooting is so fun, but so exhausting. And it goes so quickly. Like a nine hour shoot feels like 10 minutes. Like it's just, we shot a little bit on my roof with my trainer. We wanted to show a bit of, you know, like my kind of daily routine and doing exercise. And we shot for an hour and it just was so fast. Like I felt really bad for him because um, he got up early and he like got ready and he came here and it felt like he was here for 10 minutes. And I was like, Sidiop, I'm so sorry that that went so quick. But I was like, normally when things go quickly and move on to the next, it means you did good. So like, you can, you know, if we had have messed it up, they would have said, you know, do it again, do it again. So I was like, at least we can have some kind of solace in the fact that it probably went well. So one of the themes for Adobe Max is all about positivity, staying positive, sharing it, growing it. So we've been asking everyone, what do you do to stay positive? Wow, that's quite the question. Um, I just don't like the alternative. I once did this, um, uh, not because I wanted to be a TV presenter, but I wanted to get better at speaking, public speaking anyway. And I did this, uh, did this very like short course about TV presenting. And it was really cool because what we do is she'd be like, write a piece on tigers and you'd write like a three minute piece on tigers. And then you have to present it to the camera and then you'd watch it back and everyone would critique you. And which is like a very intense experience. But then when we'd get to critiquing, she would be like, we're always going to start with a positive and then we'll work back. Start off with what's working and start with a positive and work back. And I just think that that's a really good way to live your life. And like, there's a lot of shitty things in the world and it is very difficult to say positive, but I think you just have to approach every situation with an open mind and with like the most amount of positivity you can humanly throw it at and then, you know, admit if some things are a bit crap and figure that out later. But I think it's also really toxic to be too positive. Like it's also good to sometimes, you know, admit, admit that there are bad things and to be negative about them. But for the most part, I just think it's, it's just easier and nicer. No, it's, it's harder, but it's nicer to be positive. I love that. I think that, like, you're right, it is hard. And, but, like, I think positivity in that mindset is like a muscle. You just, like anything, you just got to practice it and make a conscious effort. But it's really hard. But, yeah. you got to train it. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. I think because I was a really shy kid and I was really insecure about being gay and, like, all of these things, I just hate, I really hate not feeling happy. Like, I, I really don't like it. And I realized that a lot of it is a choice that I was making. And I make such an effort to stay positive and to stay happy because I don't want to be a negative, unhappy person because I've been there and I, 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 it wasn't me and I hated it. And I, I wish not to be in that situation again is, is probably a big part of it. It's kind of a conscious choice deciding to be positive. I have another question because I was re- reading a few interviews and you had said that you didn't have many LGBTQI plus role models growing up. You hope to be that now. It kind of resonated with me because when I was coming up in design, etc., there was no one who looked like me, like really, no one brown, no one, there was a woman who was certainly a creative director or anything like that. Do you think for you like that landscape has changed now and do like queer kids reach out to you and like do they look at you as a role model? Have you gotten any of that sort of back? Yeah, I mean, I hope that that is what I am. I mean, I definitely get it sometimes and it makes me, it like brings me so much joy that I can't even fathom it. But when I was young, like I, I literally didn't have anyone to look up to. 
that was alive anyway or like you know like it's really easy to look at pop stars and stuff and like use them as a barometer but at the end of the day like that's not really relative to your day-to-day life it's also handy to have people that are a bit more accessible to you that are that are similar but it was really damaging if I'm completely honest like I I think it probably sent me back a, a lot and I just I would never wish that upon someone else because I'm so okay with it now you know I don't even care like someone I won't say the words but it, maybe this happened three months ago I was walking down the street and someone yelled a bunch of gay slurs to me and I was like can't believe this happens in 2021 like my god but then at the same time I was like I actually don't care and I'm actually happy that happened that that happened to me because I can take it like I just don't care at this point whereas if you know that was like a 20 year old kid that's like questioning himself like that could destroy him for years or her for years so I I feel like I've gone through all of this stuff and now I can take it and I hope that somewhere there's some people that can see what I'm doing if I'm really open about it and feel like oh cool like if he did it then I can do it too but what I would say to that as well is like it's funny that what was my weakness became my strength in the end like it kind of set me apart from everyone else and it's really easy to be in a really vulnerable position at a time and feel like you're the only one there and I've definitely felt that and I've definitely altered my personality to fit in to like a very heterosexual situation which now I would never do. But when you're young and you're 22 and you just want to fit in, you do. You change the way you act to fit in. I hope that that's changing and I hope that eventually we don't have to deal with that because for, for lack of a better word, it quite literally breaks my heart. And I, I never wish that upon, regardless of sexuality, race, anything, I never wish any form of person to feel that because I just, I know what it feels like and it's, it sucks. <laughs> I hope, and there is definitely more visibility for everyone these days, but there's still people that are vulnerable and still under, underrepresented and there's still a lot to be done, but it's definitely going in the right direction. And it's an interesting, just quickly, a lot of people are like quite negative on kind of like corporate pride these days on how like pride's becoming really corporate. And I'm like, okay, I 100% see where you're coming from. But at the same time, like, I think it's really good because it's just more visibility and when I was like I said when I was 18 like I would have loved to have seen like Coca-Cola being like super gay because I would have been like god if Coke's doing it like I know that it's a bit contrived and I know that it's become a bit about money but you know I live in a country where I can and I've always lived in countries where it's been legal to be gay and blah 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 but I don't live in Afghanistan or in like places where I can be punished or like criminalized for this what we forget in the West is like there's a trickle-down effect to other places in the world and there's still places on the planet where it's not okay. It's like literally punishable by death death to be gay. So it's it's almost a bit privileged to be like, oh, corporate greed. You're like, yeah, but there's still people that would kill for this. So it's not really our place to be complaining about it. We should take the bad with the good. Yeah, okay, some companies are making money out of it. They'd do that anyway. It's not always about profit. They also don't need to support anything, but they do. And I think only good comes from it. More visibility, the better. Why would that ever be a bad thing? Yeah, someone the other day, I did this Google Rare thing and one of the women, in it was like this online course thing, and one of the women there, because 
I had brought up that I was the only person of colour in creative leadership and she was like, oh, but do you feel like it's token or do you feel like there's like so much responsibility on your shoulders and you shouldn't have to speak for everyone? And I was like, I was like, yeah, but it's also a privilege that I can do that. Do you know what I mean? And like it's not yeah. ideal, but hey, it's something. Yeah. So I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. 100%, yeah. But you, And you have to turn it into your strength, I think. like Your superpower, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a bit cheesy, but but it, it does become you know, the thing that actually sets you apart. And that, that is a good thing, not a bad thing. When, you know, when you're 10, you want to be like everyone else. And as you grow up a bit, you realize you don't want to be like anyone else. And you actually just want to be yourself. Wow, that was a mic drop moment and a great way to end this episode. Thank you so much to Chris. It was so great to talk to him. He's so incredibly nice and open and honest and an amazing artist as well. Please go check out his work on chrisandrewsmore.com and find his talk at Adobe Max 2021 by going to max.adobe.com. I think he's got a few different things he's doing there. Our next episode is our finale for Adobe Max 21 miniseries, so tune in for that. Thank you so much to Samita for being my co-host. It's so much fun doing these with her. And thank you to the audience for listening. We love emails, so write to us on hello at ozdesignradio.com. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. We'd be most appreciative. Until next time, stay positive and take care.